Robert Randolph quipped, Open minds like open windows need screens to keep the bugs out. It's good to be open-minded, willing to consider other people's ideas and opinions that are not necessarily yours, to look at something from various points of view, to be a good listener, allowing others to express their ideas and opinions. But being open-minded doesn't mean that we are not to be discerning and evaluate ideas and opinions. Not all ideas are of equal value. Some ideas are not very good. We need screens to keep the bugs out. Last time in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 16 through 21, Peter mentioned two important pieces of evidence to support what he was teaching about Jesus Christ. First, Peter himself was an eyewitness of Jesus as the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. Peter didn't make up a bunch of cleverly devised stories, as it says here, about Jesus. He was there. He knew Jesus. He worked alongside of Jesus. He ate with Jesus. He laughed and joked with Jesus. He watched Jesus perform miracles. He listened to Jesus teach. He saw the empty tomb with his own eyes and then the resurrected Jesus. And then he spent some 40 days with him before his ascension. Second, Jesus Christ fulfilled the prophecies of the Old Testament about the Messiah in striking, accurate detail. Peter explained in verses 20 and 21 how the written scriptures came to be. They were not just the thoughts and ideas of men. Instead, prophets, though human, it says, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So that what we have in the scripture here, in our Bible, can truly be considered the very word of God in written form. Well, in, in contrast to the genuine prophets that God spoke through in writing the scriptures, and the people who were firsthand witnesses of Jesus' majesty, like Peter, there were also and are false prophets who seek to deceive and exploit people. This is the subject of the second chapter of 2 Peter and what we will be talking about today. 2 Peter chapter 2. Now I have a confession to make before we go on. I don't like every passage in the Bible. There you go, I said it. There are some... I would like to skip over and not teach. And 2 Peter chapter 2 is one of those passages. I'd like us to just skip over it. But I recognize the importance of passages like 2 Peter chapter 2. I accept the truths that these passages contain, but the subject matter of these passages are not the kind of thing that I enjoy teaching. 2 Peter chapter 2 is kind of like the lima beans of the New Testament. It's good for us, but not everyone's favorite thing to eat. This is one of the reasons why we usually teach here at Touchstone expositionally through the Bible rather than topically. Teaching through books of the Bible, going chapter by chapter, verse by verse, rather than picking and choosing verses from the Bible focused on chosen topics, forces us to address the entire content of the Bible. 
It forces us to examine the full breadth of the teaching of the Bible. It forces us to teach things we might not otherwise talk about. It prevents us from riding our hobby horses. It prevents us from only talking about things that are popular and easy. It forces us to see all sides of God and His will and purpose for us. And it also teaches, by example, how to read the Bible for yourself and apply it to your life. And that's very important, I think. See, you should be reading your Bible a book at a time, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, rather than hopping around, reading a verse or two here and then a verse or two there. Don't chase topics through the Scripture. Read the Scripture. That's how the Bible should be read generally. Topics are good. And it can be very helpful for us to focus on a topic at times. But that should not be your steady diet of Bible reading. Bible reading should be book by book, start to finish. And that's how we typically teach here. And that is setting an example for you to follow, see? We have to eat our vegetables and not just our dessert. I know. As we get older, we cheat more too, don't we? Yeah. I put in my time with veggies. I'm going straight to dessert. I'm too old for this. I've heard some of you say that. I've watched some of you do it. I may have done it myself a time or two. But today, we're going to eat our vegetables. So let's scoot up to the table and dive in. Second Peter chapter 2 Beginning in verse 1, it says here, But there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their depraved conduct and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with fabricated stories. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them, and their destruction has not been sleeping. In the same way that false prophets rose up in previous times, false prophets were coming into the church at the time Peter wrote this letter, and false prophets have continued to find their way into the church. False prophets and false teachings are nothing new in the church. They are as much a problem in the church today, too, as at any other time in history. Knowing the false teachings and false teachers have always been around and continue to be, it should give us reason to be on our guard. Now, this doesn't mean that we should be paranoid looking for kooks and creeps behind every bush. But we don't want to be gullible. We need to be discerning. We need screens on our windows to keep out the bugs. Matthew 10, 16, Jesus said, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. That word translated shrewd, it means to be wise and insightful and discerning, to be prudent, to consider things carefully, to have your wits about you. Don't be gullible and taken in by every slick and shiny bauble that comes along. Use your brain and your common sense about things. That's what it means to be shrewd. 
as Jesus is saying here. Peter mentions things that characterize these false teachers, and let's just kind of step through these as we consider this passage. He says they secretly introduce. They are not what they appear to be on the surface. If false teaching was always easy to identify, it would pose little danger. But it's not always obvious at first glance. It says destructive heresies. What they are selling may appear to be harmless, but in actuality it's destructive and harmful and apt made or I mean an often made remark is that it doesn't matter what you believe as long as it isn't harming others well there's the rub it's harming these false teachings are harmful people are misled and they're hurt by them so it does matter what we believe it says denying the sovereign lord at bottom it often comes back to how these people, their teachings, and themselves understand Jesus, who he is, what he has done for us, what he's going to do for us, how he saves us, what does he expect from us. False teachings usually go off track in their Christology somewhere. There can be no other problems that are part of false teachings, but this is a very common one that we would run into. It says, many will follow. The legitimacy of what someone is teaching is not determined by popularity. False teachers and false teachings are often very popular, actually. They quickly become the flavor of the day in the church. Lots of people are drawn to them. Lots of people are reading the book or going to the meetings and so on. People jump on the bandwagon and they want to know why you're not jumping on too. Popularity and wide acceptance in current culture does not determine what is true and right. What determines if a teaching is legitimate is firstly how it squares with the Bible and secondly how it squares with historical Orthodox Christian teaching. Depraved conduct, immoral behavior, uh, holiness, and living a morally upright life may not be very edgy and cool and progressive in the days we're living in, but it pleases the Lord, and it's still the thing he expects from his people. Bring the way of truth into disrepute. They harm the reputation of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the church. Greed, the desire for wealth and power, motivate false teachers. Exploit you. They take advantage of others and use them to further their own selfish aims. Fabricated stories. They will say to others whatever they have to to get what they want. They'll make up stories, stretch the truth, hide the truth, even outright lie if they have to. We're warned by Paul that in the last days, people will gather around them teachers who will tell them what they want to hear. 
2 Timothy 4.3, he says, For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. Don't get sucked in by those who tell you what you want to hear rather than what you need to hear. A steady diet of stuff that's easy and pleasant and doesn't challenge the sin in our life is not good for our soul. Like the old saying goes, eating too much candy will rot your teeth and your soul. Do you remember the story of Hansel and Gretel? Remember they were lured in by the cake in the candy house and they ended up in the oven to be cooked for dinner. Don't be the person that gets lured in. Peter makes it clear in the second half of verse 3 here that these false teachers are not going to get away with what they're doing, that their day of reckoning is coming. You see, it's a dangerous thing to deceive and exploit and harm the children of God. Do you remember what Jesus said about causing the Lord's little ones to stumble? Matthew 18, 6, for example, Jesus said, If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to stumble. Such things must come, but woe to the person through whom they come. Well, continuing on this same pleasant vein... Verse 4, in these next verses, Peter gives examples of God's judgment against ungodly and false teachers and examples of God rescuing his people. So in verse 4, he begins, he says, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them in chains of darkness to be held for judgment. So the first example that Peter mentions is God judging the angels who rebelled and sinned. It's believed that Peter is probably referring here to the rebellion of Satan and the demons mentioned in Ezekiel chapter 28. Verse 5, it says here, it goes, If he, God, did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others. So the next example is of God's judgment of the widespread wickedness before the great flood of Noah's time. Here's a, a description of what it was like in the days before the great flood of God's judgment came in Genesis 6, 5. It says, The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created and with them the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground for I regret that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And so at the same time that he, uh, he judged 
the wicked Lord also rescued Noah and his family. Verse 6 of Second Peter 2. If he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes and made them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. So the example of the pervasive wickedness of the inhabitants of the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah who God judged is given here. Genesis 13, 13 says, Now the city of Sodom, now the people of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. Then in Genesis chapter 19, it tells the story that Peter makes reference to here and elaborates on this uh, dark, lost condition of these cities. Verse 7, And if he, God, rescued Lot, a righteous man who was distressed by the depraved conditions of the lawless, for that righteous man living among them day after day was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. Lot was living among the people in the city of Sodom before it was destroyed. This story, again, is in Genesis 19. I think Peter has been very gracious with Lot here in what he says, referring to him as a righteous person. If you read Lot's story, in the book of Genesis, you will discover that he had some pretty serious issues of his own. And the tormenting of his righteous soul had been brought on by his own bad choices. Lot being considered a righteous person really serves to illustrate just how dark and wicked the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah were in contrast to that. Sodom and Gomorrah's black was so black that it made Lot's dingy gray look like white in comparison. Verse 9. If this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to hold the, right, the unrighteous for punishment on the day of judgment. Now just as a, a, an aside here, uh, let me finish this. This is especially true of those who follow the corrupt desire of the flesh and despise authority. That whole uh, paragraph that we have read from verse 4 down through verse 9 and part of verse 10, that's all a single sentence in the Greek actually. And it's translated mostly as one single sentence here in uh, the NIV and maybe in the English translation that you have as well. But here in verse 9 and 10 is the main point that Peter is making in these verses, that the Lord knows how to rescue the godly and to punish the ungodly. The false teachers will be judged by God as certainly as the fallen angels were judged and the wicked in Noah's day were judged and the inhabitants of Sodom and Gomorrah were judged. And as certainly as God rescued Noah and his family and Lot in their day, he will rescue us in our day. The next chapter in Second Peter chapter 3 talks about the second coming of Jesus Christ, our great rescuer who is coming to rescue his people. Verse 10, the second part of it, down through verse 16, Peter levels a condemning indictment against the false teachers. Uh, he, he says, bold and arrogant, 
They are not afraid to heap abuse on celestial beings. Yet even angels, although they, were, they are stronger and more powerful, do not heap abuse on such beings when bringing judgment on them from the Lord. But these people blaspheme in matters they do not understand. They are like unreasoning animals, creatures of instinct, born only to be caught and destroyed. And like animals, they too will perish. They will be, ba- they will be paid back with harm for the harm they have done. Their idea of pleasure is to carouse in broad daylight. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their pleasure while they feast with you. With eyes full of adultery, they never stop sinning. They seduce the unstable. They are experts in greed and accursed brood. They have left the straight way and wandered off to follow the way of Balaam, son of Bezer, who loved the wages of wickedness, But he was rebuked for his wrongdoing by a donkey, an animal without speech, who spoke with a human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. Pleasant stuff here. He says they're bold and arrogant, having no respect for those who are clearly superior to themselves, even slandering beings that the righteous angels of God would not speak against. It says they blaspheme in matters they don't understand. Again, slandering and disrespecting and talking boldly about things they know little or nothing about. They are like unreasoning animals, creatures of instinct, having little resemblance to human beings, he's saying, being controlled by instinct rather than reason. They have eyes full of adultery. They never stop sinning. They are out of control and full of insatiable lust. They seduce the unstable. They deceive and take advantage of the weak and the vulnerable. They are experts in greed. They're skilled con artists, tricking and scamming and stealing from others. They have left the straight way. They have no interest in doing what is right. Finally, he says, they follow the example of the wicked, insane, false prophet, Baal. If you're interested in Baal's story, uh, it's found in Numbers chapters 22 through 24. It's actually a, a fairly entertaining story, believe it or not. Verse 17, Peter's not done with these guys yet. <laughs> Here's some more condemnation for them. Verse 17, these people are springs without water and mist driven by a storm. Blackest darkness is reserved for them. Like springs without any water in them or dry clouds, these false teachers have no substance and offer nothing good. They appear promising, but in reality, they give nothing nourishing to people. Verse 18, For they mouth empty, boastful words, and by appealing to the lustful desires of the flesh, they entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. So they lure and they entice people who are barely on the road to freedom, enslaving them again. Verse 19, they promise them freedom while they themselves are slaves of depravity, for people are slaves to whatever has mastered them. If they, have a, 
if they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and are again entangled in it and are overcome, they are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and then turned their backs on the sacred command that was passed on to them. Of them, the Proverbs are true. A dog returns to its vomit and a sow pig that is washed returns to her wallowing in the mud. These false teachers claim to offer people freedom, but they are slaves themselves, he says, to their own sinful desires, and they are seeking to put others under the same bondage. It would have been better for them, he says, to have never known anything about Jesus Christ than to have learned about Christ and then turn to their old ways and try to use some of the ideas of Christianity to further their own wicked aims. There's a story from Peter's life recounted in the books in the book of Acts which helps explain what Peter is talking about here over in Acts chapter 8. Beginning in verse 9. I think uh, it's helpful to, for me to read this story for us here because it, I think it helps kind of illuminate what Peter is talking about in these final verses of Second Peter 2. He says, verse 9 of Acts chapter 8, he says, Now for some time a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great. And all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man is rightly called the great power of God. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. But when they believed Philip as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized it says, and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles that he saw. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, Give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. And Peter answered, May your money perish with you, because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Then Simon answered, Pray to the Lord for me so that nothing you have said may happen to me. What was wrong with Simon wanting this ability to give people the Holy Spirit? Well, the same thing that's wrong with these false teachers that Peter's condemning in 2 Peter 2. 
He still is a slave to his sensuality and his greed. He wants to be the center of attention again with the people and be as someone great. He wants to entice and enslave and exploit people for his own selfish gain. Peter saw right through Simon to the real intent he had. And he gives him this very strong warning to repent. If Simon doesn't truly turn away from his sin and repent and embrace Christ as Savior, says his condition will be worse than if he had never heard about Jesus to begin with. His heart will be hardened against the gospel and the true God of heaven and earth and make himself unreachable by God's grace. Well, in closing, this has not been a pleasant chapter to read. But I warned you before we got into it. There's a lot of negative stuff here, but this is important stuff that we need to be aware of. There are people, there are people who want to exploit you, take advantage of you, rip you off, deceive you, put you under their power, and they are willing to hurt you to further their own selfish aims. So what do we do? Well, rather than always trying to find false teachers and teachings and studying false teachings and heresies and the latest thing going through the church, instead be a dedicated student of the truth and good sound teaching. Then you'll be able to recognize the questionable stuff. The Holy Spirit will develop in you a good, strong truth detector you might not be able to articulate exactly what is haywire with something, but you will know enough to stay away from it. You just go, yeah, that sounds weird. That doesn't, that doesn't sound right. And I'm not quite sure why, but it just doesn't sound right. And that's enough to keep you out of trouble. There are people that are called to the ministry of identifying and combating false teachings in the church, and I am grateful for the ministry that these people provide to us. But that is not a ministry that most of us should be pursuing. A steady diet of nitpicking various teachings in the church will turn you into a self-righteous, judgmental jerk. God wants us to be participants in the church, not critics of the church. Maybe I should say that again. That God wants us to be participants in the church, not critics of the church. There's a big difference. D.L. Moody said, The best way to show that a stick is crooked is not to argue about it or to spend time denouncing it, but to lay a straight stick alongside it. Spend your time learning what a straight stick looks like. Being able to identify a straight stick. Being a straight stick yourself. And then crooked sticks will be obvious when you come across them. Don't be a student of false teachings and heresies. Be a student of the truth. Jesus said in John 8, 31, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Let's close in prayer.
Lord, we thank you for your word, and uh, we thank you for the truth that is contained in your word. Lord, we ask you to give us a, a, a hunger and a desire for your word, that we want to learn it and grow in it. Give us an appetite, Lord, for your word. Lord, I ask that you would protect your people from false teachers and false teachings. We pray, Lord, that you would look over us as you promised to do. We thank you, Father. You're so good to us. In Jesus' name, amen.